This is Where You Are, a podcast that helps families and their children promote their mental health and wellness. We navigate a range of topics to meet you where you are in your journey. I'm Michelle Horn. This podcast is brought to you by BC Children's Kelty Mental Health Resource Centre. The Kelty Mental Health Resource Centre provides information, resources, and peer support to BC children, youth, and families. On today's episode, my co-host, Shar Black, and I will be exploring Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, commonly referred to as ADHD. ADHD is one of those topics that has a ton of information out there for parents and caregivers, which can be tough to wade through. So we've decided to start at the beginning. Today, we'll be delving into what is ADHD, what are some common myths and misunderstandings about ADHD, and what are some helpful strategies for families who are just beginning the journey of supporting a child with ADHD. Here to talk about this with us are Nina, a parent of a child with ADHD, as well as Dr. Ryan Chan. Nina is the mom to an eight-year-old boy diagnosed with ADHD. She's an active part of her son's life and advocates continuously for his needs. Dr. Ryan Chen is a psychiatrist and the clinical director of the ADHD clinic at BC Children's Hospital. Through his work, he has supported hundreds of families at different stages along their journey with ADHD. So welcome to Nina and Dr. Chen. We usually start our podcast with a mindful moment for our listeners, and I'll let Dr. Chan lead this moment. Well, thank you, Shar. Let's begin by asking our listeners to reflect on what's most important. What do you love about your child? Is it their strengths, personality, their sparkle? What do you love about your family? Take a moment to pause until you feel the lifting of your spirit. Remember this place and pause to pull yourself back here whenever you feel overwhelmed. Most parents with children with complex needs may feel overburdened by fatigue and frustration, but ultimately wish to spend more time celebrating life. I see your dedication. Remind yourself that you have brought yourself this far to this place, searching for answers. What would happen if the knowledge and steps you take on your journey seem just a little lighter, with a few more opportunities to celebrate? What if this grew in time? Now, Consider these opportunities as you journey with us in our podcasts. Great. Thank you, Dr. Chan. Welcome. So Nina, if I can start with you, when you explain what ADHD is to another parent, what do you say to them? It depends a little bit on the situation, how deep I want to go into it. It's a neurological brain disorder that really makes it harder for him to, like with his executive functioning skills, he has harder time making decisions, harder time um, taking turns, waiting for things. The impulsivity is is can be quite challenging. The hyperactivity, uh, because my son does have the hyperactivity component, that can be, um, I mean, it, it can come out as just being hyper, but it can also just come out as talking really fast or being quite intense, particularly in terms of emotions and things like that. So when you have a neurotypical child, you might tell them that uh, you can't have ice cream until after dinner and they might accept that. But when, when my child has decided that he wants ice cream now and not after dinner, that can be a reason for a big blow up or, or a big emotional sort of emotional despair, <laughs> which is a little bit uh, uh, more challenging to deal with on a daily basis. 
So Dr. Chen, just moving to you, um, listening to what Nina is saying about her experience and how she would explain it to others. I'm wondering if you wanted to build on that and talk about some of the basics about ADHD. I think the first thing to keep in mind that ADHD is a misnomer, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Children with attention deficit can hyperfocus, like when they watch TV for hours, right? Rather than lacking focus, they generally have too much or too little too much, and they don't hear you when it's time to stop building Lego. Too little, and parents may have to shadow their child each morning to finish their routines. So children with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder don't have to be hyperactive or impulsive either. Then why is it not called ADD or attention deficit disorder like it used to be called? Well, terminology changes over time. ADHD falls on a spectrum. We use qualifiers now to note the different presentations. So number one, mainly inattentive. Number two, mainly hyperactive and impulsive. Or most commonly, number three, mainly combined inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. There's like nine symptoms under each. Um, some of them include things like being easily distracted, forgetfulness, rushing through work, um, not bringing home assignments, and a host of other symptoms as well. That's under the inattentive category. The hyperactive impulsive category is your child who struggles with restlessness, fidgets too much, has trouble staying seated, has troubles talking a lot, and um, challenges waiting for others to speak, that impulsivity can spread to their behaviors, their actions, their decision-making. And so those symptoms are often the most uh, talked about, but as Nina suggests, there are many other complications and challenges that often go along with ADHD that aren't listed under the diagnostic criteria. For example, Nina talked about the emotional regulation challenges, one's higher level command and thinking abilities. So the ability to, to remember, to plan ahead, to organize oneself, to motivate oneself, to stop oneself from doing things one shouldn't be doing. So to inhibit, these are all also important challenges to note. At what point should parents be concerned about challenging behaviors and how can they kind of know the difference between these typical challenging behaviors and ADHD? The challenging behaviors must be a problem. It has to flag someone's attention in more than one environment. So the problems must exist at school, at home, probably amongst social settings, little league or dance so the symptoms mm -hmm. must stand out in essence. Nina, can you briefly tell us a little bit about your family's journey from when you first noticed signs of ADHD to when you received a diagnosis? Our son was very hyper from day one. Even as a baby, he had a hard, harder time settling than what I've realized since other babies. It wasn't really until we had our second son that we realized, wow, they're 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 very different, and how much of that is just personality, and how much like, that's hard to know. At, at that time, he was only three, but we've had to be very active with him, and if we didn't take him to, you know, when he was two years old, he went to gymnastics and he went to the park, and then he had a play date, and then would go to like a family place, and like if we were just home, he would get very restless, and and. 
we would get comments from friends and family that, oh, wow, does he ever settle down? Does he, when, when does he have quiet time? And we're like, this is quiet time. <laughs> and like, super calm right now. What do you mean? And so it, we've always kind of known, like we, we've always realized that there's something there. And I think it helps that I have family members with the same diagnosis. So it's not like this was something completely foreign to me. It's just always been extra, if, if you will. And then when he was four, he started having, it's almost like, I don't know what to call them. Like we, we used to call them episodes, but they're sort of like, he kind of disappeared a little bit. Like he would become so hyper that he wasn't there anymore. Like he was just spiraling. And I don't know if you've seen the cartoon, that Tasmanian devil. And it, it was just like that. And we, we often, it often ended with us having to physically restrain him because he, he, he was becoming like, he wasn't paying attention to anything. He was just like, he fell down the stairs or, you know, so, so we had to make sure he was safe. Um, and that's when we really felt that that was happening several times a day. Felt like this is not like we need some help. So we we actually s started getting help when he was four. So that was sort of on our radar, right? That he probably had some sort of diagnosis. And yeah, we got the diagnosis when he was how old was he? Seven. Fairly quickly started to figure out some sort of medication. I think it's for a lot of parents with children with ADHD, their symptoms with, will magnify as soon as school starts. Kindergarten, they can kind of fly under the radar, just a happy-go-lucky kid that is a bit energetic. Uh, but grade one started and they actually had to do schoolwork and that's everything changed. It was night and day. He got the diagnosis then, grade one. I wonder if I might just underscore a couple of the key points mm -hmm. that Nina so so wonderfully outlined. Is that number one, the symptoms of ADHD they they can seem normal, especially earlier on in life. All babies and toddlers struggle with focus, struggle with listening, following instructions, and have a lot, many of them have a lot of energy, right? And so it's only with time and as children mature do we realize then that some children maybe don't mature as quickly as other children. Yeah. This is why we call ADHD a not only a brain-based condition, but a neurodevelopmental condition. Right. Because what happens is a child struggles to keep pace in certain areas of self-regulation and executive function. And as a result, it's only with time do parents start to notice that their child is standing out. And that, that difference becomes much more noticeable when a child enters school-based environment, because in a school-based environment, we suddenly expect children to do circle time, to share more, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. To wait, to fall in line. There's much more structure. And children with ADHD, because of their difficulties, can have more challenges with structure and those increased expectations, then leading to more frustration then it can often promote things like like bigger feelings and meltdowns. Mm -hmm. School is really a hugely challenging part where I, I almost feel like there's two parts of life for us right now. It's school 
and and home. We can make all the accommodations for him that we need to at home, and we can create the perfect environment for him. I'm not saying that we have, but we can we can try and achieve that. But at school, you're kind of you're one voice of of hundreds of parents, and you're trying to advocate for your child, and and that that whole piece that Dr. Chan was saying about the the developmental delay. Um, I've I've been told that my son, uh, his actual brain developmental age is that of of a five and a half year old. So my whole whole piece has been to try and advocate to the schools and the teachers is that instead of looking at what he can't do, uh, let's think of him as wow he's in grade two doing things that grade two students are doing, but he's uh, of a developmental age of a five year old. Because anyone would be amazed if a five-year-old entered a grade two class. And I really, yes. and I really love that balanced approach that some parents with advanced knowledge have. For example, you you will know that some children with ADHD have up to a thirty percent delay in things like executive function, self control. However, in other areas, they may exceed their group of peers. Mm-hmm. So they have numerous strengths as well that we can rely on and 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 reveal once. ADHD is 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 no longer front and center of our focus. The struggle is to get other people to see mm-hmm. it. We were very lucky to have an amazing teacher. She just did every paperwork that we gave her, and and there's quite a lot, quite a lot of um, rating scales that they have to do, and they have to do it at various times, at sort of a baseline. Uh, and then what, if you start any sort of treatments, then you do it again and you do it in different environments. So we do one scale at home that we sort of have to reflect on his behaviors and what we see at home and then give him a, like, essentially scores, uh, score him and rate him uh, and write it all down. And then the teacher has to do the same. Uh, so that goes on for quite a few months. So it's, it's, it's a bit of work. Um, I think it becomes quite clear when you start seeing it and seeing another adult that spends a lot of time with your child, seeing their rating as well is is quite eye-opening as well. Because I find that people often will say things like, oh, isn't ev- everybody gets a diagnosis nowadays? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, doesn't everybody have some sort of, mm-hmm. you know, and and no, no, they don't. And, and they do carefully consider a lot of things when they do the diagnosis. So Dr. Chan, um, I'm wondering if you Mm -hmm. would maybe comment on some of the typical elements that might be involved in treatment for ADHD. We need to make sure that when we talk about treatment, that we align the treatment to what's most important, what's most impairing. It may or may not be the ADHD. So taking a step back and taking a look at the whole picture and including what you would generally use as Interventions and good health measures for a child in general are important. So, for example, what I call the pillars of health, sleep, nutrition, exercise, stress levels. These pillars of health, I think, are first and foremost before we start talking about treatments. So if we've determined that ADHD is the core challenge and we want to target it, uh, the most effective interventions to date are parent and teacher behavioral training, accommodations for ADHD, and medications. Nina, listening to Dr. Chan, were any of these elements, including 
creating accommodations for your child or parent or teacher training part of your son's treatment journey? Uh, yes. Both my husband and I have attended the parental education group for ADHD here at the ADHD clinic at Children's Hospital. That was a 12-week program, and it was very, very informative. But we've also worked with a, a, another clinic closer to where we live with parental counseling and coming up with strategies and, and when things come up and how do we handle, okay, this situation occurred, how could we handle it better and that sort of thing. And we started doing that already when he was four. So before he actually had a diagnosis, uh, it doesn't mean that we go there all the time. Uh, we've sort of gone for intense periods for a few months during one year and then didn't go for a year and a half and then we'd go back. And so you get in the groove and like that that's one thing with ADHD as well is that it kind of goes up and down a bit. We also have had uh, our son involved in counseling. There's been a few things that has happened for him that has been particularly challenging, specifically to school uh, or in school. So we have actually taken him to see a psychologist to sort of talk about that and raise his self-esteem and and realize that he is, well, he's an amazing person and, and that outside sources doesn't have to affect him as much as they had. We're, we're trying to build him up that way. And then, of course, like we we're not perfect in any way, shape or form. Like we're just kind of trying, trying our best. And the medication, of course, has been the biggest thing that you see results from because it's more measurable, right? But... But of course, all the other stuff helps as well. And we're trying to teach him a little bit of mindfulness. And we were lucky last year that he had a teacher that actually in included mindfulness in her daily practice with the children. I just wanted to circle back to a theme of what we've been talking about, starting from the beginning around the strength-based approach and really focusing on strengths. Um, so Nina, can you talk a little bit about your son's strengths and why you think it's important for families who have a child with ADHD to highlight and celebrate these strengths? Yes, absolutely. Um, I always say, and I realize I'm biased because I'm his mom, but I think he's got the best personality out of any person I've ever met. <laughs> he he makes me laugh constantly. He is hilarious. And it's a little bit hard for me sometimes because he is so funny. And that is sometimes hard for him at school because, you know, there's a time and a place. So sometimes like, oh, not, this is not the time. But yes, you're really funny. <laughs> I want to laugh, but not right now. He is very, very kind. He has lots of friends. I dropped him off late to school yesterday and the whole class went, yay. <laughs> so I thought that was really, really neat. Yeah, everybody knows him. He's such a social guy. He's very creative. He loves art. He's very physically gifted, like he, he's very athletic. So he's kind of big and strong and, and he's got like a six pack, which is ridiculous for an eight-year-old. <laughs> he's just, he's, but I mean, he's never still. So I mean, yeah, it makes sense that he's a total muscle, ball of muscles, right? <laughs> but he's just, he's a very, very kind and, and, and gentle when it was raining too hard, he's like, oh, mom, I feel so sorry for the trees because now they're getting too much water. What if they drown? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like he's a very gentle soul. It's very sensitive and 
I don't know. I, I think it'd be really hard not to like him. And I realize I'm his mom. <laughs> but I, I, I don't say that. Like my neurotypical child is much more particular uh, with who he plays with. And he's got very strong likes and dislikes. Whereas my son with ADHD is very much embraces everybody. But we often get comments about our son that like teachers or other adults that, that work with him or other parents even, they say they're amazed at how he is able to put words and describe what he's feeling or he's he can be very descriptive of what is happening for him. And I think that's because we started, he started going, uh, we started help when he was four. So he's learned those uh, tools and it doesn't mean that he always uses the tools, but he's learned the language for how to, and how to assess himself. So he's even told me like one time we had a, he had a substitute teacher and said, oh, I, I had so many thoughts floating around my, in my head. And then the, because a lot of kids with ADHD have uh, issues with auditory processing, like oral directions or avoid, like can be really challenging for them to pick up on. So it doesn't mean necessarily mean they're not listening. It means that they actually have a harder time. So he was saying, oh, I have all these thoughts floating around in my head. And then she is talking and she's talking so fast. It's going into my ear. And then it starts floating around in my head and it gets lost in the mm -hmm. tumble of all the other thoughts. And then I decided because she she wouldn't stop speaking so fast, I decided not to listen to her at all. And then he shut down and refused to listen to her for the rest of the day. And so that was obviously an incredibly challenging day for him mm -hmm. and her. <laughs> and uh, it turned out she actually had no information at all about his diagnosis. That's another thing that I have realized because of the confidentiality. You have to make sure that you allow your school to share uh, your child's diag diagnosis and accommodations with outside teachers coming in. But I, I thought it was amazing at... That's just an example of how he can describe what's happening. Yeah, and I think that's amazing that this that you have given him these tools at such a young age. I don't know if I have given it to him. I mean, it's like a product of him getting that help. Mm -hmm. We, I am in an incredibly fortunate situation where I also have the, the means uh, to do that. So the notion that ADHD is because of bad parenting, there's nothing so infuriating uh, to a parent with a child of ADHD than hearing that. Like parents with that are raising children with ADHD, they've tried all the typical stuff, all the regular things that all the other parents are doing and it's working for their kids. It's just that it's not working for our children. For us now, after taking this, the educational course, I've gotten a bit of an attitude about it because it's like, you know what? No, like my child is different. I have to make accommodations and I am not going to apologize for it. We need to be more accepting and, and, like, and not feel ashamed because there's a lot of judgment out there. It's so powerful to hear what Nina is saying. This is super important that children with ADHD are much harder to teach, much harder to parent compared to a typical child. And as I often like to say, taking a page out of the typical parenting playbook just ain't going to work a lot of the times. And so often I hear parents wrestling 
with feelings and some even some some self-blame and guilt about things that they think they should be doing because people tell them that that will work like other parents or other teachers or whatnot and sometimes it can be quite liberating when they come to the realization that Nina's just described where they focus on things that that will work for them that they can do Mm-hmm. It, it it just seems like there can be some like loneliness and stigma and judgment. So what what gives you a sense of hope or empowerment for for you and your family? Um, it certainly helps to know that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. For me, at our school and our group of friends, I know of two other uh, families, and and that's not a lot, but at least that is something and. But I, I really think that this uh, parental educational course that we mm-hmm. took was huge. And, and it was sort of interesting because in the beginning of the course, you could tell that uh, people were withholding some of the bigger, more severe things. <laughs> and then towards the end, people were just sharing everything. And and then everyone else is saying, oh, yes, oh, yes, us too. Oh, yeah, that's that's exactly what happens at our house. So that it was was really incredible. Also that you, you you often feel like, what am I doing wrong? The more education you get on ADHD, you re- quickly realize their brains are working differently. I love um, Dr. Russell Barkley. He has the guide, like the 30 essential things that parents uh, to children with ADHD should know or something like that. It's called on, on uh, YouTube. It's like a two-hour thing, but it's really, really powerful. The message there is like, if you had a child with diabetes, and I love like I love that he said that if you have a child with diabetes, uh, you would educate yourself. If you have a child with asthma, you educate yourself. And nobody around you questions the changes and the accommodations you make for your child. No, my child cannot have this bag of candy at your birthday party. But when it's something that's hidden that people don't understand, then, then it's it becomes just oh why oh almost like you think you're special or something. You said some really really important things, and that the stigma yeah. around ADHD prevents parents from feeling safe to yeah. acknowledge and to share. And so, by you coming and sharing and bravely doing so, plus other people online and through various organizations nationally that put themselves out there. Uh, Jessica McCabe, uh, yes, MC yes. Capital C A B E, is one of these yes, young ladies. Great. Yeah, and and who talk from a lived experience perspective and help promote that bravery for parents to share. Boy, if we can reduce the stigma, if we can connect them to each mm-hmm. other, and there are agencies nationally like CADAC, C A D D A C C, Center for ADHD Awareness, Canada. There's also CHAD, C-H-A-D-D dot org, Children and Adults with ADHD. And for, I guess, more sort of like advanced information about ADHD, they could also check out CADRA, C-A-D-D-R-A dot C-A, right? Canadian ADHD Resource Alliance. But meeting people locally is super important Mm -hmm. in your own schools, in your own communities. Yeah. Like if I could say something to myself, you know, four years ago, it would be that like acceptance and don't be apologetic about the accommodations and the parenting that you have to do because it does differ and it does stand out and just be 
be kind to yourself. Like it's not, it's not an easy route and just you have to, and this is something I still struggle with. My husband's a little bit better at it, but uh, stop caring about what other people think. Like you have to have a really like badass attitude mm -hmm. and just no, like this is, this is us, this is what we do. If you have a problem with it, then that's your problem, not mine. I think those are some really wonderful words of wisdom mm -hmm. uh, coming from a place of having been there and been through this journey. Um, and you both touched on some kind of key resources, including Jessica McCabe and Dr. Russell Barkley, Cadac, Chad. I'm wondering if there's any other uh, resources that families across um, the province might like to hear about that you could share with our listeners. Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed Attitude magazine. I think it's an American uh, website. But it has a lot of resources that I have used in school. They have a really good poster, the tip of the ice, the ADHD iceberg that you can, uh, it's a free downloadable that you can print out and hand to your child's teacher, things like that. There's a lot of things that, uh, or when we were writing our son's individualized educational plan, I went there to see, you see a mock-up and see things like maybe some questions that you should ask. And, and again, it's like for the American system, but it's still... Uh, it's still helpful. Dr. Chan, are there any other resources you wanted to touch on? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think parents can consider visiting keltymentalhealth.ca. That's all one word, K-E-L-T-Y. On that site, they can find the online learning series version of the parent group that Nina's talking about. It's called Rolling with ADHD. You'll also find the ADHD booklet for families, the ADHD Parent Education Day recording. Of course, on Kelty, if you wanted to know more about medications, it has an excellent medication section. If a region is so lucky to have an available parent ADHD course, sign up. <laughs> if not available, sometimes positive parenting behavioral training opportunities are also good. There's the telephone coach Confident Parents Thriving Kids, they can do some positive behavioral strategies with you and also some incentives training like charts, star charts, things like that. And if parents are looking for resource and navigation support, I've come to know that there are parents and residents that work with Kelty and they can be reachable by phone. And so that's also very helpful as well. Dr. Chan, if you can touch on any other kind of myths or misconceptions that are out there about ADHD. Oh, absolutely. And I think Nina can touch on them all <laughs> beautifully, the way yeah. she's been talking about it. But I, I will go through a couple here. Um, so firstly, um, you know, as Nina said, ADHD is not caused by poor parenting or teaching. Secondly, ADHD children are not inherently lazy or unmotivated. ADHD makes it way more difficult to do even simple things that sometimes other children can do. So thirdly, having ADHD does not make a child incapable. ADHD obscures and makes a child's strengths less accessible. But what would happen if a child's strengths were recognized early, their environment's more ADHD-friendly, and they spent more time developing mastery in those areas of natural talent and passion? Fourthly, mothers do not cause ADHD from eating certain foods or from experiencing stress in pregnancy. The cause of ADHD is complex and multifactorial. Yes, there is a large genetic component, but then again, so does height and eye color, all of which we have no control of. What would happen if parents were able to practice acceptance and self-compassion? 
Right. Fifthly, ADHD cannot be reversed or eliminated with special diets, vitamins, CBD oil, or eye therapy. These therapies have not been proven effective. There may be unintended consequences of using non-regulated products or therapies with inconclusive evidence. Healthy lifestyle from sleep, diet, exercise, and stress management are helpful and recommended. Right? What would happen if we used the most validated evidence-based therapies like behavioral training for parents and teachers, accommodations for ADHD, and medication? What if these were widely available and explained to parents in a way that made sense? Six, medication is not mandatory in the treatment of ADHD. They do not cause addiction. Psychostimulants are a highly effective means of lowering the symptoms of ADHD temporarily, but they aren't for everyone. They're optional. It may take multiple trial and error attempts before they seem effective. What would happen if parents could learn about the benefits and drawbacks of medication and were free to choose without judgment, pressure, or misinformation? And lastly, you're not alone. ADHD is surprisingly common, affecting 4-9% of children. There are many educational resources, professionals, and supports. What would happen if children and families felt connected, supported, and understood? So Nina, uh, Dr. Chan, I'm wondering if either of you have any kind of final thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd love to share with our listeners. Enjoy the kids, because there are times when they can feel very, very dark. Remind yourself of all the wonderful things that your your child does or says. And kids with ADHD have that entrepreneurial go-getter attitude a lot of the times. And uh, with the right coaching and they can they can go anywhere they want to they can do whatever they want and just enjoy them i was thinking that maybe we could pause again for just a moment and to remind yourself what makes your child amazing what makes your family wonderful and how about yourself think about how far you've come across all walks of life are adults with adhd among them, Olympic athletes, celebrities, artists, professionals, and more. They were once children with hardships of ADHD at one point. Now, imagine how exciting it will be to see your child blossom into the adult they were meant to be. Thank you, Dr. Chan, for leading that. That was really a nice way to close our uh, episode today. And thanks for, to both of you and Nina for really uh, sharing your personal experience. Uh, thanks for having thank me. Thank you. Thank you, Nina. No, thank you, Dr. Chan. You can visit keltymentalhealth.ca for a number of ADHD resources, including the ones mentioned on this podcast today. If you have any questions or comments, email us at keltycenter at cw.bc.ca. For each month's episode of Where You Are, go to keltymentalhealth.ca slash podcast and hit subscribe. Catch us wherever you listen to podcasts. We hope you'll make us a go-to resource to promote your family's mental health and wellness from where you are to where you want to be.